0: Welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uessa and this is Daniel Winter. We're coming to you from the
1: front end of a a long weekend that's hopefully going to be filled with a lot of gaming. So uh, how are you doing, Mark? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, lots of time
0: spent with the family today. It it is is family day, long weekend. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. It's totally made up holiday, but I'm happy to have something something in February take what you can get <laughs> exactly so what uh, what have you been playing of late good sir
1: uh, as, as, as usual been dabbling a lot though I'm actually looking forward to tomorrow having an in-person honest to God board game day in, in my games room for the first time in in a few in a few months so that's uh, I'm looking forward to that I uh, haven't quite figured out the playlist yet so maybe I can I can talk about that next week. But for now, I've been dabbling in a few different things. Still playing some cooperative games with a couple of, uh, a couple of local friends, uh, video games that is. Uh, the one we keep going back to is Risk of Rain 2. Uh, very similar to the first game in in format other than that it's third person. It's, it's, it's a roguelike. You, you, spend, you, you run around a level shooting enemies, which gives you money that you can use to By upgrades that are somewhat randomised, and so you sort of gradually building, getting a build that whether it's based on damage over time or or critical damage or melee attacks or something like that, and there's a timer that's constantly counting down, so it's getting more difficult every minute basically, and you can't even pause it in cooperative games, so it's just you constantly moving forward and trying to. Uh, level up faster than the than the enemies are, so that, that's been good fun. Uh, we're, we're gradually unlocking some of the secrets and things in there, and uh, I mean the whole reason I started playing that in the first place is the music, some great sort of funky sort of electronica that i heard in a sort of game game music of the year retrospective and that's what got me into it so definitely check that out if, if uh next time it's on sale which i think it is shortly because the they just come out with a big expansion a, a big a big upgrade this month or next week i think uh other than that i've been i i, I failed to beat final fantasy 12 <laughs> uh, before it, before it left game pass so I might have to run to the library to, to borrow that and wrap it up so I, I just I certainly did burn out a little bit of, on that by the end of it I think it just uh, it is very much a podcast game <laughs> for, for better or worse uh, largely just uh, grinding out the, those fights on auto auto automatic mode listening to the podcast but the story wasn't particularly uh, grabbing me by the end of there it's very much dragged out fresh quest so. I'll, I'll see how I'll,
0: if, I, if I get more time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I played Risk of Rain 2 a little bit. It didn't really capture me, but I should probably give it a little bit more time and probably multiplayer is the way to go for that one.
1: Definitely, um, yeah.
0: I've just been in the looter shooter mode of Borderlands a lot recently, so that was a bit of a shift. In the board game space, I haven't been seeing anyone in person, so I haven't been playing any in-person games. Sorry, I'll have to miss out on your game session this weekend. <laughs> But I'm always available for Board Game Arena. Now I've been playing some older games that I uh, have enjoyed in the past. Uh, not to mention the games we're talking about today. But uh, one that I particularly enjoy, I'm not really good at, is called Nippon. It's from, I think, What's Your Game is the company. There's some Italian guys, I believe. Uh, and they they make really interesting games, like really interesting systems. That hang together in pretty fascinating ways, that one I like a lot it's set in Japan after opening up to the to the world again for trade after its isolation period, and it's a very interesting take on you know industrialization and commercialization, really really elegant design. so I like that one a lot, and I said I was in the borderlands mode, so I, I couldn't help myself. I booted up number two. <laughs> Borderlands 2 uh, from scratch, and I'm actually having a hard time finding a character that I haven't played to death. <laughs> what can I say? I, I like the lady characters in that title. I think Maya is the best, or Maya my first best, and Gage I like a lot. Yeah, Gage was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, like Axton is just so vanilla and generic that I can't really get into him. We'll We'll see which one I end up going with.
1: Yeah, I'm always a fan of characters that can summon in things. Like Age has her uh, robot companion that she, that she brings in, and you can buff him up in various ways. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I just thought um, Maya's like phase lock ball was so cool and the elemental effects. And uh, anyways, delving <laughs> too much into that. And uh, my kid, my oldest, has recently got into No Man's Sky, and that's kind of forced me to take a look at that title, which I played like way back in the day on day one back in the dark dark days of the really controversial launch <laughs> so uh, I was quite impressed to see how slick the game has become like the the new sort of tutorial mode is very atmospheric and the interface is is really polished as well and it just seems like a much improved experience so I'm looking to delve into a little bit more of that uh, after my initial, two, three hours since I came back to the game. Yeah, it's Very a lot more guided
1: points. now, I think. It's like an actual tutorial and storyline, I believe, leading you through those early hours at least. And they've obviously added a lot of new content, whether it's like giant robots and different biomes and ship types. But I think that it takes a while to sort of unlock those those, those elements. So I, I, I've started that game multiple times now, but I've not really seen a lot of the new stuff just yet.
0: Yeah, I haven't really touched that in years, so it was very cool to see it from a fresh perspective. And and my oldest, um, they uh, we're kind of like not digging the kind of the harsh survival element of the main game. So they uh, booted up the creative, and it's it's much more their pace. So looking forward to seeing what uh, kind of cool discoveries that they make and cool creations that they make. Excellent. Looking forward to hearing about the
1: j- j- the journey.
0: <laughs> right. Speaking of journeying, should we uh, roll into the games we'll be talking about today? Speaking of galaxies, uh, yeah, let's uh, get to our main feature. Similar to what we did with... The Seven Wonders a thon. We are going to be covering a range of games, uh, all with related designer, related theme, and related universe, I guess. Coming at you with a hat trick? <laughs> That's right. Uh, there's actually four games in the series, but I'm not super familiar with the other one. Anyways, it is called For the Galaxy, as in Race for the Galaxy by Tom Lehman in 2007, and Roll for the Galaxy by Wei Hua Huang and Thomas Lehman in 2014
1: and new frontiers uh, also by thomas lemon in 2018 but really breaking the the naming convention there i don't know what to, you could uh fr- frontier of the galaxy i guess perhaps
0: <laughs> i think it's called new frontiers colon uh, race for the galaxy board game if i'm Oh, mistaken. okay I know that Jump Drive exists, but I am not super intimately familiar with that, and it's not on Board Game Arena. So does it really exist? I don't know. I'll be
1: honest, I've forgot that it exists, and I don't think think I've ever seen it in store anywhere. Uh, I I, I might be misremembering, but I feel like there were some elements of it included in the new edition of Race for the Galaxy that came out a couple of years ago. Though I I may be misremembering there, but I I know a few people who have played it really loved it.
0: And of course, all those titles are from a real grand games in North America, where we are probably some different publisher where you might be listening from.
1: Yes, I think it's one that's been translated quite. I mean, it wouldn't even require that much translation. I don't think it's it's mostly language independent. I guess we'll start with where where, where it all started: the Big Bang <laughs> with with Race for the Galaxy in two thousand and seven. Yeah, what's 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 your history with this game?
0: It's pretty extensive. I mean, I wouldn't call myself you know, a Race for the Galaxy expert. I've played the base game many, many dozens of times and the first couple of of expansions as well. But I certainly haven't played all of the many expansions that the game has had. And I am not like super familiar with all of the the newer strategies and newer mechanisms from the newer expansions. Race for the Galaxy was one of the earliest non-gateway games that I played when I was getting into the hobby around Two thousand eight, two thousand nine, which uh, would have made it very uh, fresh and new at that time. I didn't realize at the time the whole history of its relationship with Puerto Rico, which I guess we can touch upon a little bit. Um, how about yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was pretty new when I was getting into the into the hobby as well. Right around, I mean, I, I started playing just just before then, I think, so two thousand and six. So I don't even thought. I don't think I thought of it as a. A new game at the time. Uh, I was very much wasn't into like the new hotness. It was just one that happened to be introduced to me around that time. I guess playing through university, so there was a lot of time for those sorts of sort of short card games that you could play at the pub and that sort of thing. Uh, So I played it quite a bit back in the days, but I don't remember having particularly fond memories of it. Partly I think because I played a lot of two-player games with one friend in particular who would just. Trouts me every single time it is a game that's a little bit prone to that, um, as we can discuss. But I, I recently revisited it um, due, to, due to a piece of artwork, for all, of all things. They, they did a, a sort of redo of the cover art for a Board Game Geek artist series, like a special edition art print uh that that i i really love so i bought the art print and then decided well i better have the game to go with the art print (laughs) and so i gave it another shot and uh yeah it's it's been really interesting revisiting that with uh like 10 years of later into the hobby and and with with a new fresh perspective
0: it really was a seminal game i think it's for me one of the first I wouldn't call it hardcore games, but it was definitely not a, a gateway game, like I, I mentioned. But still, it's it's very elegant. It plays in a short time frame, and uh, unlike yourself, I, I always played with four or five other people, um, so including myself, as a bit of a filler between heavier fare. So um, it it fit right in as an excellent beginning of the night or end of the game night sort of thing. So I really have fond memories of this title. So we should probably delve a little bit into what type of game this is, because it's really gonna be uh, the foundation for the rest of the series we're, we're talking about. So hallmarks of this game is it's simultaneous action slash role selection. That is really the thing that keeps this game humming. So basically all the players receive a set of action slash role selection cards. They choose them in secret and then reveal them all at once and then thus you designate what actions roles you're, you're taking through the course of the round. And it can be quite speedy, actually, if you play with experienced players. On top of that, the theme is galactic empire building, isn't it? Exploration, you settle planets, you build technologies, you produce resources, and you trade those resources. And the game is played with uh, just simple cards and victory point chips. You could solidly place this as a tableau building game any other thoughts about how the game works
1: yeah so i mean as you said it's it's all just a single deck of cards so it's quite elegant in that regards as to the number of different things that are going on you've got your planets that you're building both peacefully and militarily uh you've got your developments that are building up powering up your various abilities and and the, the the actions that you're taking giving you trading abilities to to Spend the resources that are generating on those planets. So there's quite a bit going on here, and yet it's all handled by a single deck of cards, which is quite elegant. But there's obviously quite a lot of variety in those cards, and how hmm, how, how the, the, the those cards represent themselves is, is very much iconography based, I guess. There's a similar to the Seven Wonders games that we discussed. the the last board game uh, episode, it's very much uh, um, translating iconography and learning the language of the game, basically.
0: I I totally agree with you there, that uh, the graphic design in this game is very strong, maybe overly strong for some people, uh, which I've heard a lot of complaints about. But you can't say it's slapdash. Someone put a lot of thought into the graphic design and layout of these cards. Basically, there's these, um, I believe it's six potential phases in a round, including the um, the sa- selling phase, which is related to consumption. So it's let's get it down as explore. It's develop, it's settle, consume trade, and then it's produce. Those are the, the, the core yes. action types. And then there's a couple of variations within those. The consume trade is a little tricky, but but there's, there's a little flow with that. And the graphic design of the cards... has those phases spelled out on the left-hand side like all of the phases are written out one two three four five plus the dollar sign for trade and it clearly indicates when these effects of the card trigger and the graphic design is so strong that really i know having become familiarized with these cards what the effect of this card is without really remembering the name of the card without having to consult any reference material These games often have these sort of spacey terminology, which I just think is terrible. (laughs) Just call call things what they are uh, and just keep it simple. And the graphic design really helps you with that. It it just boils it down to that simple iconography. And there's a few exceptions. There are some cards that have like a paragraph of text on them and do have to explore, uh, um, explain themselves a little bit. But for the most part, you can get through a lot of the game with just uh, just familiarizing yourself with the iconography.
1: It, it does come with a bit of a, a mental load up front, though, I find. It, it's not an easy game to teach in that sense because not, you don't just have to teach the rules of the game. You have to teach that iconography. And it, it doesn't, the icons don't necessarily make sense until you've learned that language. It's it's similar to Seven Wonders. It's one of those games where thankfully, since it's very short, you have to basically say, okay, we're going to play two games of this. The first one is just learning the symbols. Don't worry about trying to win. Just just learn what the symbols are and then we'll play an actual game. That's like for real. So that's what I've often had to do, even even teaching experienced gamers.
0: (laughs) I think that's a good way to go and and probably the recommended way to go. This game can easily be done in 15 20 minutes, depending on how well one of the players plays and how long it takes for everyone to choose the roles. So, if any of the sort of overview sounds familiar, it's because this game does have a bit of a storied past. Even back in the day, it had a strong origin story that's sort of become legend nowadays. So, one of the most popular board games of all time, one of the highest rated on BGG historically, has been a little old game called Puerto Rico, which was one of the innovators in this role selection type game. Basically, there's a fixed number of roles. Every player on their turn in that game, it's not simultaneous in that game, chooses a role. The person who chooses the role gets the main benefit, and everyone else gets to follow with a lesser uh, effect. And then as as the round progresses, players can choose from the remaining roles. So A lot of the core foundation of this game comes from Puerto Rico because this game started as a commissioned Puerto Rico card game. Basically, Tom Lehman, who was the person asked to design the Puerto Rico card game, continued to do so. But the original designer, is it Andreas Sefarth? I'm not sure, but i bring that up quickly. Okay, I might be wrong with that. Basically, they decided to take the game back, and thereabouts came a game called San Juan, which you might have played as well. So San Juan became the official Puerto Rico card game, but Race for the Galaxy, uh, I guess, was a strong enough foundation that uh, Tom Lehman wanted to take it and run with it. And uh, I think they bought the artwork from a defunct CCG or something like that. And then thus came the original sci-fi setting and all the sort of the factions that, that go along with the Race for the Galaxy universe, which is actually pretty strong if you want to follow how the, the factions develop over the course of the expansions. It's, it's actually pretty strong mythology and, and world building that they have there for such a you know, mechanical game.
1: Yeah, so you, you were right, by the way. It is Andreas Seyfarth who designed both Puerto Rico and San Juan. I, I've only played, I played a couple of games of Puerto Rico back in the day, like 10 years ago, N- never visited San Juan. And I, I've, as time has gone on, it's been harder and harder to go back and revisit those games. Uh, they, they don't hold up particularly well in the, in the thematic area, the very heavily themed around colonization of, of the, the native population. And I do hear there is, there is talk of, a re-theme that's trying to reckon with that history, I believe. So I'll I'll tentatively keep an eye out for that, but uh, very, very much prefer this. uh,
0: is a great game. Like I would happily play that game anytime, even today. I think it still holds up um, as one of those, you know, best earliest examples of innovative game design uh, that I can, I can think of. I've played dozens of games of that, Uh, but you're right. You know, I have, intentionally stayed away from that title for the last couple of years because of the unfortunate themes of uh, colonization and essentially slavery that, uh, you know, I refuse to play any game that has slavery as a mechanism. So as it is right now, I'd love dearly to play that game on BGA, but I can't make myself do it. But, uh, you know, that's the history of it. (laughs) And I guess we have to reckon with our dirty the History of, of board games, as well as the the, the history of, of
1: humanity. Unfortunately, right, uh, not to exactly. say that Race for the Galaxy is without its uh, colonization and imperialism, but it's somewhat more abstracted there, I
0: guess. <laughs> yeah, it's in the very much like nineteen seventies, eighties, sixties, seventies, eighties sci-fi of you know grand uh, empires like um, you know your Dune Dunes and things like that.
1: Yeah, I'm finding myself coming around on the artwork for that. It's very retro. Uh, the 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 theme is all very vague. Like, it, pretty much every card in the game has unique artwork, and it's very much like retro sci-fi. But it's growing on me quite a bit now. You can eke out a bit of uh, theme in there, even though they're all just vaguely planets. Like, there's, there's no overall story or characters necessarily in this. It's uh, just miscellaneous aliens and and planets yeah there there uh, are
0: there are named factions in that game and the the sort of artwork and themes of what those cards related cards do uh i think is is fairly thematic but yeah it's not explicit you Mm. you really have to sort of study the cards carefully and and really just eke out some meaning out of the artwork to to see how they're correlated but you know some thought has gone into that so I, i really appreciate that
1: and I know that it does come more into play in the later expansions. I've only played the first expansion. I own the second one, but I haven't had a chance to play it yet because I've largely been teaching it to to other people not familiar with the game. So having to sort of work through it, uh, it slowly introducing those new mechanics. But it, it is interesting how much they hint at future expansions. Like even in in the first expansion the rules basically say, okay, these symbols they are for the next expansion. Don't worry about those. We'll get to those ne- later on. So they, they already have a plan as to where they're going, both thematically and story wise. As uh, so I know as, as the expansions go on, it's basically arcs. So you, you only place some expansions with certain other expansions. Like it gets to some point where you ignore the previous expansions and only play with these new set of expansions. <laughs> like it's a, a season or something.
0: (laughs) Right. That's where my knowledge of the Race for the Galaxy saga really falters because, uh, yeah, like you, I only have strong experience with the first and second uh, expansions, which, you know, I have access to on. Uh, There used to be this unlicensed PC uh, adaptation of Race for the Galaxy, which was pretty rocking. The AI was pretty solid. And actually they adapted that AI, I believe, into the official commercial tablets and iphone version of race for the galaxy which is also pretty kick butt so they did a good job with those you can buy the expansions uh, piecemeal and um, i think i have at least the first one for the for the uh, android version and it's 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 pretty great it's a good experience
1: well, with that uh, history of the, the Race for the Galaxy saga <laughs> out of the way, um, what,
0: what do you what do you like about this game? Or, or dislike, as it were? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I really like this game. You might have sensed that from, you know, my glowing praise of a lot of aspects of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not without its, like, um, little blemishes and whatnot. It's it's not a terribly deep game. It's It's really over before you know it for a lot of players as well. So I could understand how some people might have had bad experiences with it like yourself, you said you played with a really experienced person. You played the two-player variant, which means you choose two roles in a game, which is, I think, really smart, actually. Smart way to, to adapt the game into a two-player version. But I think that benefits the experienced player even more. <laughs> yes. yeah, Because <laughs> right? they can really execute on a strategy quickly, whereas in a multiplayer game, you're really depending on what the other players are doing and upon sort of reading their strategy and you know not everyone's going to be good at that like not everyone can keep up and read the strategy of what another player is going for you're going to have the real world difficulties of being able to see what cards the other players are playing across the table from you upside down or at an angle so it's it certainly comes with some challenges but i think the game has a, a depth that belies its small box size and small price tag and that it can kind of grow with you and become as complex and as deep and branch into different areas as you like over the course of all the expansions so really it's it's a game that has so much promise built into it that i think it it's it's a really a must play for anyone who's seriously into board game history certainly and into multiplayer card games as well
1: Yeah, I really see what you mean in regards to, you really have an arc with this game, as you start to learn the language, familiarise yourself with the specific cards, and the specific strategies, and the expansions, and uh, how how you feel about this game is is very likely to evolve over time. I think it's showing its date. Now it's a a little bit, like the iconography is a little dated, and a little clunky in how it uh, how it's implemented. It's it is very elegant that it's all one deck of cards but i think the the weight of the game is this: a few too many moving pieces that it's really straining against the weight and how little in in, in just having that one deck of cards because everything is a card like you've your planets are cards your technology is cards your goods are cards and it's it's a a lot to track with just that one deck um yeah, actually
0: some of the later games add quite a bit more they add these tiles that you need to collect as sort of like um, um sort of goals shared goals uh, that you execute uh, I think one of the expansions even allows for territorial exploration like there's a world map oh so it's pretty, pretty funky stuff
1: Hmm. Yeah, I saw there's cubes in the in the second expansion that I've, I've I haven't had a chance to try yet, and more sort of direct take that. But at least at least in the base game, like there's, there's not a lot of player interaction other than trying to guess what the other players are go- what, what phase they're going to play and and sort of piggyback off those phases because like it's five phase I guess. Five and a half phases, um, and only those that the, that are chosen are activated. Uh, so, if you if you really want a particular phase to to, to trigger, you either have to choose it yourself, or hope that your opponents are going to do so. And it, it's a, it, other than a two player game, it's really tricky to try and figure out what other players are doing. It's not one where it's easy to sort of glance at everyone's board and and try to to figure out what they're going to do. And because yeah. it's so tight. Because it's such a race and it could be over so quickly, you really can't afford the time to to take a chance and gamble. Uh I mean I mean you could, I guess you could try and go big and, and but then you're just out of the game. Because if, if you if you just fall behind for a single turn and, and, and in, in trying to execute your engine, then it's probably all over for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's as harsh as that. I I think in, in a multiplayer game, because it's not just zero sum, you can really watch you know you're pretty sure when a player is going into the produce trade cycle right and you can really ride that wave uh, as well and gain some benefits from that and hopefully get two three actions out of a round instead of just one so i think that's that's certainly possible much more so when you're having a range of of players that you're playing with and what i like about this game is that you sort of go in with an idea of what you're planning to do and You might not be able to execute on it so you have to be adaptable you have to be able to pivot maybe you need to have a couple of strategies in mind so in my mind it's a game where you cannot exactly execute right it's not like magic the gathering where you're coming in with your deck that you know (laughs) how it's built you basically have a starting world in this game in a starting hand of cards that you do this light draft life light, light um, customization on, and that's it, right? You you might have a lucky hand to start with and just all the right synergies, but you also can't guarantee which cards you're going to draw in the next turn either. So you have to be adaptable. I like you have to be on your toes, and that I like about a multiplayer game. Not a lot of take that, certainly not. But you have to be aware. You have to read read what the other players are doing
1: it might just be that playing on online it's harder to read on board game arena at least it's harder to read like playing asynchronously at least it's hard to sort of scroll through everyone's sort of tableau every turn and try and figure out what they're doing uh at least i don't tend to have the patience for that in person it it flows a little better so i've I've generally found it's, it's it's more useful just piggybacking on someone else's choices as a little bonus rather than you can't really plan for it so as you said improvising like being ready to jump on on that very opportunistic early on on other people's turns rather than really planning around or trying to to guess what they're going to do yeah, you can um, certainly guess what they're going to do, you can't
0: guarantee <laughs> they're going to do it.
1: Yeah, the trick with this is like a, gr- a great engine in Vase is like exponentially better than a, a than a good engine. Like if you get the right right combination of cards with a good synergy in your opening hand or in, in your first explore action, you're going to have a huge advantage compared to someone who has to spend a couple of turns finding that right card to get their engine going. I don't really
0: believe that. Like At most, out of an opening hand, you're going to get two cards that you can use because most of those cards you're going to have to spend away as as money to build those. So, yeah, maybe you can get a good two-card combo, but you can get a good two-card hand in a game of poker too, right? So mm. it's, it's not really defining the game. You have to take it all the way until you've played your last 12th your 12th card
1: right i mean i certainly had games where i've gone three four rounds in and just not found a synergy yet i just especially you you have to have a vague idea of what direction you want to go from the beginning and then you might just take a while to find any cards that go with that unfortunately or the 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 developments because there's i think that the key cards here are these incredibly expensive development cards they cost six uh sort of cards you have to discard six other cards to play this one card that give you a lot of points based on what else is going on in your tableau and for any particular strategy that you take there's going to be one or two of those that could give you a a, a dozen points or more so if you there is definitely some luck as to whether you get that that perfect development card or not that could be another, another big swing based entirely on luck i found
0: yeah, that's true. Although whenever I play, whenever I teach the game, I always tell people to discard the any cards that cost 5 or 6 from your opening hand because it's hmm. it's not worth it. You can't guarantee <laughs> that you're going to make that strategy work and it's just taking up space in your hand until you reach the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's always good to have that. It depends on on, on what direction you want to take it in, I guess, and how tight your engine is. Like, it can be incredibly hard to get any cards at all into your hands in the early game um, because everything is is so expensive.
0: Yeah, Um, it's it's a game with chance, right? You you shuffle that deck and see what you get. It's true. One thing I wanted to discuss quickly
1: is that the first expansion, I think, it's, it's the only one I've played, but I actually think it's pretty vital. Uh, I don't remember what it's called offhand. Gathering Storm, I think. That in terms of it adds, adds a lot more cards that basically do more of the same. There's a slightly increased variety, but the the big difference is it adds these goal cards that are somewhat randomised. You 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 choose four out of six each game or so to. to Place in front of everyone, and, and everyone's collectively trying to aim for these particular goals. That might be achieve this score in military, or or have X number of planets of the, of a particular color. And I think that really shakes things up and makes things a little more dynamic, especially with experienced players. Stops people from just executing on on a particular strategy. Like I know a lot, a lot, a lot of a lot of experienced players are going to be. Start the game. Well, I want X, Y, Z cards, or I'm, I'm going to execute the, the the crazy Ivan strategy, or like, <laughs> these very specific combos. Where in these dynamic goals, I think really shift the balance of what of what cards are, are worth to keep things a little more interesting from game to game. I think.
0: I guess there's players of different kinds because I don't really ever think I'm going to use this strategy on my first turn. I'm gonna say those two cards work together pretty well. well I get the right ones to build upon that, but I'll probably have a second fallback strategy as well so that I somewhat flexible and not constrained.
1: Maybe so, I'm just showing too much bitterness from playing against experienced players. <laughs>
0: I think you might be a little hurt from this game. <laughs> maybe maybe you can you can have a better experience with a different group.
1: <laughs> well, that's it. Um, why don't we? We, I guess, we, as you said, we can move along to the next game in the in the trilogy. That right. is yeah. Roll for the Galaxy. So, right. do
0: you want to describe how this game works?
1: Yeah. So you, you, there will be a lot of similarities in the the overall arc of the game and the, in the the phase selection. Uh, you you have ostensibly the same phases, uh, but instead of cards, you're largely dealing with dice as you would imagine from the title uh so it's a i guess what what do you call it a a bag building game even though there's no no bag here it's a cut you literally have a plastic cup that you put your dice in um you start out with a certain number of dice um of of like one color and you'll gradually as you build your engine as you put new planets and and developments out in front of you, you are earning dice of other colors that will change the your options available to you. So these dice have basically symbols representing the five phases. So you, you roll these dice and you might get symbols showing all development or explore symbols. And you, you put them into the, the, the respective rows and they the, the number of, of symbols you have in each row basically determines how powerful that ability is going to be for you. And some certain colored dice have a distribution focused on one or another phase so if you really want to go on to settle then it might be is a brown brown dice i think are heavy on on, on settle symbols <laughs> i don't remember the colors um right. all the
0: dice have a different distribution of the types of symbols that can uh, appear
1: yes yeah
0: which is pretty cool i think you know, I think it's fair. You you can call it just a dice building game because there are dice building games like, um, what is it, quarriers or whatever, where you uh, accumulate dice over the course of the game. But you know, you do start with the uh, several generic ones, uh, and they do give you the capacity to do all the things. Just the specific colored dice will make you stronger in or lean more towards a certain direction than another, which was a bit subtle, and uh, it took me a, a bit of time to get accustomed to that, to, to be quite honest. So this game, I'll just say from my personal perspective, is the one that I have the least experience with. And it's, it takes a bit of brain work to get your kind of mind wrapped around it, coming from Race for the Galaxy and a similar game, which I really enjoy, Eminent Domain, which is maybe kind of a kissing cousin to To Race for the Galaxy, much closer than Roll is. But, uh, you know, that said, they've done uh, really incredible um, work with this game to sort of build upon the universe and tweak it in an interesting way. So you have to choose your role, your primary role, and you can still follow other players' selections, which is the cool thing with the, the way your dice are allocated. And all the developments, uh, which are types of tiles that you can build, will help you be more flexible with how you allocate your dice. You can, you know, reallocate dice or convert the icons on them. And uh, all the planets that you produce will give you special bonuses for producing certain types, colors of resources, or in fact, trading certain colors of resources. And the dice themselves become the resources that you produce so there's layers and layers and layers going on and, and to all of that you got these chunky dice with these really strong black etched icons on them so i haven't played this game uh in person but it must feel really good to roll those dice
1: that's the thing though they're not big chunky dice they're tiny oh really it, they're, they're really small and that's one of my biggest problem is that it's very fiddly like you've got the you've got you're throwing a handful of dice which that, that immediate moment is great fun sure but then you're having to arrange them into tiny rows and then move them back and forth between rows and these it's quite quite fiddly with with
0: the um with I the size think of them. i would really enjoy allocating the dice to the to the rows because it's so visual uh, much more than the than the ui of board game arena which is essentially doing the same thing you're sort of slotting these dice. In these in these uh, columns, but um, I think just physically moving the dice into the areas would really kind of bring home what it is you're doing, which is like dice allocation, right?
1: At first, yeah, that, Im- that immediate it's a allocation, bit of a bet. but then your like the, the way you're reallocating dice, like you you can put any dice. On to on top of a phase to to choose that phase, but the symbol even if the symbol doesn't match, and then you can reallocate dice using some special abilities if the sim, even if the symbols don't match. And by by the end, you're just looking at this blanket of different symbols that don't all line up, and it, it's just not very elegant. I, I feel <laughs> it's hard to wrap your head around.
0: It's it it a, a little petty, it
1: but it's yeah, it's it's not very. <sighs> it just doesn't doesn't seem particularly intuitive especially with the size of the dice it's just this visualizing
0: information is a little trickier i found yeah yeah i'm not going to say that this is an easy game to to play or understand but i think there's some promise there you know i I see why the designers went in the direction that they did like the the, i think the design decisions they made were really quite subtle and and you can you can check it out on, on board game arena i'm looking at A display of all the dice colors and all the distributions of their effects and you really see it's quite subtle how different the dice directions go and um, we should also state that on top of the uh, i think it's five standard rolls there's also wild card symbols and some dice have more of those wild cards than others and that grants you even more flexibility so this is a game about Engine building, but unlike those other games like Race for the Galaxy, Eminent Domain, even the next game we're going to cover, you really can't guarantee it because there's an additional layer of chance
1: mm-hmm. built
0: into all of this. And if you think mixing hard to read icons with a difficult to explain <laughs> flow of the game, plus a, a really esoteric theme and then a whole whole lot of deep strategy and a whole lot of chance is a good combination. Not everyone's going to agree with that.
1: Yeah. I mean, on top of the the regular engine building elements, you're also just building the engine of your odds basically uh, and trying to gradually tilt those in one direction or another. And it's just just another, another layer that you're trying to manage simultaneously that I guess it just takes an extra few games to to adjust to so i I do want to revisit this one i have I have a friend bringing it over tomorrow so I'm hoping to have a chance to try it in person again but it it did take a little more adjusting too but there there, there are some charms to it by the end of our, our last game when you're like matching colors so if you you have each planet has a color uh and the the, the dices also have colors when you produce and ship uh, to, to sell the goods and if you match the color on both on both sets of dice, basically, you get even more points. So that was a very satisfying moment. I, I felt uh, trying to match that, but again, that's that's all very luck. So uh, it's a little obviously more push your luck. I think more so than in, in any of the other games. But it's very much more the design is is that rather than just an incidental luck element.
0: Yeah, there is a decent amount of strategy in this game. It is the ninety eighth uh, overall in strategy. On uh, BGG Board Game Geek, so you know that a lot of people seem to enjoy this game, and and I do enjoy this game more than I used to. I used to have a very negative opinion of this game, but having played it more recently with you, um, and and you pasted me, by the way, <laughs> uh, I I see I can see more how the flow works, and 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 yeah, you can you can really get burned in this game if you if you make the wrong choices, but I think you can. Help make your own chance, right? You can help make your own luck. and um, one thing that sets this game apart quite a bit is the, the the way that the money is used. the money is used only in a very specific way because you you pay for things using dice symbols, right? So you don't pay for things with money per se. so you have to have the dice results to begin with. You can't fake the dice results except through some manipulation of other dice. But the money itself is interesting because it's sort of the fuel to your engine, right? So if you don't have a constant influx of money coming in, you really will grind to a halt. And that was what happened with my latest game. is um, <laughs> I didn't get the produce trade engine going early enough. Even though I started with a, a fertile uh, goods producing world, I didn't really focus on it. I didn't have any money except the free $1 that they give you every round. And that's not enough. To put the dice into your into your engine to get the dice results, especially if you tie up the dice that you roll onto some of the tiles that you're trying to build. So basically, you just um, make yourself instantly uh, resource poor. That lesson learned, if you go into <laughs> it knowing that that that's going to be an instant drain on your engine, then I think you can overcome it, and I think you can you know really see where the strategies can take you
1: yeah I, I, I really need to give this one more of a chance I think uh, I'm still a little down on it but I it, it, it has a little more uh, it's going to require several games to really wrap your head around the arc it, 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 it's interesting the planets in this game are all very similar they don't really come with special abilities they all give you a dice or or two Like it's, it's, they give you an ability that says discard one dice and get two dice basically so most of them just give you dice. There's no abilities as there was in, in race that sort of buffs up those phases. That's, that's all based on the, on the dice themselves. So there's much more focus on the developments here to build those um, secondary abilities. But on the other hand, the planets, you can ship on any planet regardless. Like in, in race, a few times I had a, a heap of planets, but none of them actually gave me the ability to, to ship my goods and I could just never could find the right cards whereas here any planet you can put goods on and ship it if you have the right dice so you're not quite as dependent in in that part of the engine it's a strange it's, it's, it, 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 it everything is is just different enough that it takes some adjusting to the the different
0: pacing right yeah it's it's certainly not a direct adaptation it's more of a a cousin a spin-off I'm actually developing a theory about these games. Uh, I guess you could call this "Role for the Galaxy" is the Deep Space Nine of the uh, <laughs> of that for the Galaxy um, Star Trek uh, series, and of course that makes Race the TNG and our next game. Uh, let's just call it uh, Voyager. That's, that's my that's my developing theory. Uh, I'm, I'm not a tricky i can't comment on that analogy <laughs> all right well let's see where this where this i can explain myself in my, in my thesis <laughs> <Please. to> the <laughs> listeners. shall we talk about the next game
1: yes so new frontiers the the most recent of the trilogy came out
0: just a few years ago yeah uh new frontiers came out fairly recently and uh, like we said earlier it's called the race for the galaxy board game I've been playing a decent amount of this on Board Game Arena. I actually um, like it pretty well. I'll just come out and say it. It's got a lot of uh, DNA of Race for the Galaxy built into it, much more than Roll. Even more so, it goes even deeper back into the history of it. I feel like this game has, maybe not entirely, but mostly replaced Puerto Rico for me.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time since I've played Puerto Rico, but your description of that, made me realize that there's a lot of DNA here too, with the role selection especially.
0: It's giving me deep Puerto Rico vibes, but it I won't say it's the same. I'm not deluded enough to call it the same thing. It's not the same, but it's much streamlined. It's much more streamlined. And to that end, some might call it not nearly deep enough, but it gives you the flavor of Puerto Rico. It gives you the flavor of Puerto Rico. Bear with <laughs> me. Puerto Rico is Star Trek, the original series, okay? Race for the Galaxy is the next generation just takes it in and, it and, and just amps it up uh into the into the future. Deep Space Nine is the weird cousin that has a lot going for it, but nobody really appreciates it at the time. And Voyager, which is, if you follow my thesis, is New Frontiers, is really trying to hearken back to the old days, really trying to make the old fans, you know, give them a lot of fan service. So it's trying to replicate a lot of what was good about. The first two entries of the series, so it's really trying to give you those Puerto Rico and Race for the Galaxy vibes, all in one. And I think that's pretty much what Voyager did. Uh, it, It repackages the goods, made it more streamlined and up to date, and more polished. Will it outshine the originals? No, I don't think it will. But I don't think it needs to. It's just the next iteration, if you want to call it that, of the series. So. This game, it apes the graphic design of Race for the Galaxy to a T. It reuses a lot of the artwork from that series. So the same development icons are there, the same planet icons are there. A lot of the production iconography is there, and a couple of the icons are lifted from Roll as well. You're very much doing what you do in Puerto Rico. Uh, so you choose one of the available roles. The person who chooses the role on their turn gets the primary benefit, and then every other player gets to follow and gets the secondary benefit. There's some actions that only have a primary benefit, and those actions are pretty much what you can do in Puerto Rico, or race, I should say. You can explore to get new um, worlds in front of you. You can develop to put those developments which will sort of help you break the rules of the game. You can settle those worlds to essentially produce goods on, you can trade and consume those goods to make money, which is very important in this game. You can produce goods on those worlds, and you can do a couple of other things as well. With the um, the first expansion, has some interesting goals built into it. Anything I missed there about the overview?
1: No, well, it, it's it's it definitely has shadows of the original, but very much blown out to sort of fulfill the, the the grand ambitions of what the original game represents in in spirit, I guess more more than more than directly. It's yeah, it, it's it's it's, it's an interesting one. It's I mean the, the the analogy I that came to mind for me as someone who's not familiar if not familiar with Puerto Rico was the, this is basically Caverna to Race for the Galaxy's Agricola. <laughs> um, in that you've got a lot, whereas Agricola is very much you have a random hand of cards that's dictating your professions and um, what do you call it Im- improvements to basically give you special abilities. Caverna has a whole range of fifty tiles that you can choose at any time to to build a very to build it, to build an engine in a much more directed way. And that's very similar here, whereas developments are no longer just mixed in with the planets in a deck of cards. They're just on the board. You can see all of them that are available, and you can go straight for the one that you want.
0: In a lot of ways, Race for the Galaxy is hard to compare with this game, because I think Race for the Galaxy can be even deeper than this game. I think that New Frontiers is sort of like Voyager, I'll say again, in that it's... (laughs) sort of a lot of fluff to it there's a lot of like cutesy um you know very pc fluff going on as in 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 board game terms that would be it's a very sort of streamlined modern friendly and uh, not a lot of rough edges and uh race for the galaxy has some of those rough edges but because of just the breadth of the cards that are available for it i think the number of potential strategies is even wider mm. in this game i think there are a number of fixed developments that are available so they're in every game but uh the other developments uh can be flipped upside down so so one side will be available uh, but you you can't guarantee it so i think just the sheer potential variety of what you can do in the games is not that not that wide
1: yeah i can see it a little more being a little more static where, whereas race is a little more dynamic in, in, in its variety i always prefer games that let you improvise a little more rather than targeting a specific strategy and just executing that strategy um there's, there's a charm to both but I, I do feel like this is at least more beginner friendly for various reasons I mean, I, it can be yeah, a little I overwhelming agree. in seeing that all those developments. But if you just don't worry about um, strategies, at least on your first turn, there are various things that are going to make this much more beginner-friendly.
0: I totally agree with you there, I, 100%. Like, I think these this game is more, um, more beginner-friendly than Race for the Galaxy ever was. Uh, I think that this game is... The complexity of the developments, they're actually pretty readable the effects hmm. on them are fairly simple like some of them are just like you know trade this for some vps or reduce the cost of this by 2 like they're pretty dead simple and they just streamline things so much that i think it would be quite easy to maybe even call this a gateway or like one half step up uh, i wouldn't be afraid to introduce this this to someone after i don't know ticket to ride or after dominion or something (laughs) like that it's just a little step up in terms of complexity and and for that reason you know some people are not going to be satisfied with it it's not going to have the sheer depth of a game 15 years on or you know really 20 years on if you talk about puerto rico it doesn't scream i am a modern game behold my innovation (laughs) it doesn't it doesn't do any of that. Like to me, this is a retro throwback. It's kind of like just a slick, more shallow version of Puerto Rico that I can play without being embarrassed about the terrible <laughs> colonist uh, theme. Is it, does that make it one of the greatest games of all time? Certainly not, but it's, it's eminently playable in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's I mean it's a lot easier to track information. You have actual currencies here, so everything is cards. So you you have actual resource cubes that you're putting onto your planets. You have actual money, and you have colonists. So it, it's much more thematic in that sense. Like it's, it's the first of the three games where development and settle are, are two very distinct mechanics. It used to be like regardless of whether you're building a technology or settling a planet, you're paying dice or you're paying cards. Here there are they, they are quite distinct in how you go
0: about that. So it
1: feels like a much more thematic action.
0: Um, yeah, I think uh, that's the, probably the biggest uh, distinction of this game for race and, and role. Like you said, is, is the inclusion of the colonists. It's somewhat similar to Puerto Rico in the fact that you have to collect these, um, these meeples in this case, they're they're not um, slaves, thankfully. <laughs> they're just little <laughs> astronauts with little chunky backpacks on them. They're very very cute. But if you don't have never played Puerto Rico, you're not gonna instantly grasp that you have this basically impediment towards being able to easily uh, colonize a planet. Um, each planet seems to need either one or two colonists and uh there may be some cases of planets that require zero but i've never seen any more than two and basically as you're the settled role you can choose to gain colonists or put those colonists on a planet you can't do both so really that sort of messes with the rhythm of the game compared to race and um it requires a little bit more subtlety so you know that was the biggest uh, adaptation i had to make You're getting accustomed to this game. But like I said, if you have played Puerto Rico, it's going to be a breeze to see what's going on. And a hot tip, I really like the developments that give you uh, (laughs) colonists for free. Like the one that gives you colonists for free when you explore. That's one of my faves
1: yeah i mean it, 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 even just having those resources it just it, it's a lot more things to manage but at the same time it, because it's also thematic it just helps you visualize that information uh, I, I feel this it, it flows a little better
0: right. You know, it's very transparent right like mm. money is money it's not face down cards on top of on top of other cards
1: but the other thing is that there's, there's no real hidden information here as opposed to race. So all, all action selection is out in the open. You're just selecting one of those from the tableau in front of everyone, all of your, like you don't have a hand of cards, all of everything is on the board. So you can see what everyone has, which is both a helpful for teaching new players because you can guide them a little more directly, but B it actually encourages a little more player interaction, I feel. So when you're choosing those, those phases, like, whether you want to produce or or sell goods, you're much more inclined to look at what everyone else has. I think that you can see exactly what's on their on their tableau, and sort of jump ahead of the queue, try and break their uh, their flow, basically. Or like pick, pick a, picking a, a phase that you can capitalize on, but no one else can at that particular moment, because you can see what exactly what everyone has. So yeah, it's a little more. Totally it's right so there. again, much more transparent, as you say.
0: Uh, in terms of randomized elements, it's you know you're starting planets for sure; those are randomly dealt out. The turn order in which you can draft the planets that certainly is going to be dependent on the player order. Uh, the goals in the expansion are also randomized cards as well. But beyond that, you know all the developments are out there. I think there's only two of each in each, each of the stacks uh, of the cheaper ones. It depends in on the player count, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and there's one of each of the of the large boys. So uh, certainly it's going to be, uh, you know, a lot like Puerto Rico in that, you know, whoever gets to them first gets them, which like call me old school, but you know, that that's fine by me, you know, <laughs> like turn order. If you're going to complain about turn order, then you just really can't play board games.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree there. I think the, the weak spot here is really the planets for me, um, because so few opportunities to get new planets. It's basically that one explore action draws some from the bag, and then it's drafting basically. So it's gonna take you. It could take you a, a few turns to to get ahead of the turn order. But sometimes it's just you get bad luck as well. You just aren't able to find the planets that um, fit your synergy because there's there's so, it's only that one action that gets you now those new planets now, as opposed to multiple opportunities for drawing new cards into your hand.
0: You could always get
1: the development that gets you extra planets though. (laughs) True, true. Uh, It's partly true that, I mean, and and, then the petty nitpick is that in the physical game, at least these, these planets are enormous. They're like giant hockey puck sized things. (laughs) You're reaching into a bag and trying to grab, but they all just sit flush together. So you can't really jumble them up or sort of shuffle them. Everything that this game feels a little too clunky. It's like it's the opposite of of Roll that was very small and fiddly. Everything here is just a little too big. I feel, uh, and like the layout of your board because the, it, it's very sort of um, interestingly laid out thematically. But your planets sort of laid out in this arc around your board. and Your developments are sitting in the middle, but it's much harder to scan at a glance what your abilities are. They're not sort of just sitting flush in a line like they are in in the original game. So it's, it's yeah, the the UI I guess I'd say is, is a little jumbled here.
0: Yeah, you could call it alien. Basically, you're looking at this. <laughs> you're you're looking at this weird like pineapple type board with these <laughs> weird jagged edge chips, which is I suppose is supposed to look futuristic, but makes things a little bit hard to read for certain. It, it, it's kind of a throwback to you Know 90s next generation uh, graphic design, there for
1: sure. So it's hard to say where I, where I come down to this one. I, th- I, I think it definitely has potential because I mean, it would we're, we're talking about just the base game, there isn't there's no expansions for this. So I mean, comparing it to say race that has a l- so much history of new additions and expansions and everything, uh, so I, I think there's definitely potential here to, to expand on it perhaps. So I'm curious to see if it gets some a new treatment though I, I don't know that it really took off um, as much as the others so i don't know if we're likely to see any any more of this one but it's it's yeah. certainly a, a more it's a, not, not quite a friendly game but it's a it's, it's easy to introduce to people uh it looks much nicer on the table uh, i'm always one for having actual components to play with um it's a, it's a more thematic game i'll put it that way um yeah. which if i this which i
0: think came out five years earlier i think it would have had more of a chance but uh, i really honestly a little think it he lost the race <laughs> yeah it, it doesn't have the zing of uh, a newer game and to me that doesn't really matter because i don't really fall for new games the new hotness um you know i try and look at the inner beauty of games if you want <laughs> to call it that uh plus I, I love old games too so for me it, it doesn't uh, bother me at all but i can totally see how that would be divisive as some wouldn't enjoy that, so buyer beware. But if you've heard our description, you probably know which type of player you are.
1: <laughs> I guess that this about wraps it up. But of of those three, what would you say is is your pick?
0: Yeah, you know, I I'm going to keep playing all of them. To be honest, <laughs> like I'm never I'm never going to stop playing Race for the Galaxy. Like it's it's just there. Every tons of people have a copy or two, there's still the depths of the expansions I could plumb into if I'm feeling like something new. I have found a new aspect, new sides to roll for the galaxy that I didn't really appreciate before, so I'm going to keep trying that. And just New frontiers. is so easy to play. Like I could just <laughs> have it there in my BGA queue, play it with some randos, and try out some new strategies. It's It's good, clean fun, you know? Very mm-hmm. easy to play.
1: Yeah, I certainly feel myself pulled towards New Frontiers on the thematic front. I think I think it's a little overproduced, a little too big and, and expensive for what it is. Uh, and I, I think, to be honest, I'm, I'm leaning back towards more race, which I'm really surprised by. Because this in, in playing it so many more times these last couple of weeks... That, that this last game I played with a friend a couple of nights ago, I felt like I, I something clicked and I've moved over onto that next stage of familiarity with the game. I can start to see some of the strategies flowing together and what, what I should be aiming for. Uh so I think I think um, it is it, it sort of moved clicked up onto the next level of um. I'm repeating myself. Never mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, that game really sings when you play with. Players that have a similar skill level or familiarity, then then it's a true race because you're That's eyeing right, your yeah. neighbors, you're trying to play more of the meta game, which is, you know, the, the mind reading, what's what's he gonna do, what she's gonna what she's gonna do, uh, is she gonna choose the role that suits me? I'm gonna take the gamble. And it, it just has another whole nother dimension to it that goes far beyond the cards. That's a Star Trek reference Um, (laughs) and really elevates it to something that's beyond a simple card game. Like, um, you know, sounds very flowery and poetic, but uh, there's a reason why that game's lasted so long and has had so much success is uh, I think that's a true classic um, uh, Race for the Galaxy.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely showing its age. It's hard to pull out with with new gamers now, but I think most most of the people I play with tend to be pretty familiar with it, and I don't think anyone's particularly o- over familiar with it to happen to have a bad time with. But I'm very curious now to to some ex- explore some of those other expansions. The second one, which I've I've I own and I haven't played yet, seems to be um, very much focused on playing multiple games in a row, and actually like after after your first game you actually earn points in certain factions that influence your abilities in the following games and then you can start to st- actually even steal planets directly from each other if if, if they if, if they're of the opposite faction so it's very much a different game it sounds like and you mentioned one that has like a whole exploration board which i'm very curious about so yeah, i really want to dive dive more into that
0: yeah it's really funky there's all worlds out there to explore.
1: <laughs> cool. That said, I, I have a sudden urge to go and watch some Star Trek Voyager.
0: <laughs> yeah, go check them out. See if my thesis holds true. <laughs> oh, I'll get back to you in about uh, two years. It's <laughs> a lot to get up on. <laughs> Very nice. I think most people will just call me a kook.
1: <laughs> okay. All right.
0: It's been fun exploring the galaxy with you tonight.
1: Yes, and I think uh, we'll be continuing to explore some some galaxies or a galaxy next episode. Uh, what are we covering next week?
0: Yeah, so we're, of course, jumping back to uh, the video game side of the coin of the Omni Gamers menu. Uh, this time around, we've been sort of dancing around this game title or related titles, but I think we're going to try out a game called Okay, let me get this straight. I want to make make sure I have the right name. It's called Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep, a Wonderland's One-Shot Adventure, which is, of course, a repackaging of the Borderlands 2 DLC and is a prelude to the upcoming Tiny Tina's Wonderlands game coming out in March. So... I think we both share a love of Borderlands the series. We've talked about it a few times. So I'm excited to see what this little mini gamelet has to show. I think if anyone wants to follow along, you could regularly find it for like six, seven bucks on a variety of game platforms.
1: Yeah, so, so spoiler alert, Borderlands 2 specifically is one of my favorite games of all time. I am a Tiny Tina uh I'm sympathetic towards the Tiny Tina jokes, which I know is very, very much uh, "love it or leave it" uh, with that with that game. She's quite a divisive character, but that DLC, which I have played before, definitely I, th- I think for most people regard as the standout of of that game when it first came out. So they, yeah, they've repackaged it as a, as a standalone product. A lot of you may have it for free uh, on the Epic Game Store. I think it it, it launched for free. It's, it's basically a glorified demo of this new standalone game they're making uh, otherwise it should be pretty cheap now i i guess uh so don't exactly have time to dive into the whole of borderlands 2 again but i'm i'm, so I'm looking forward to the excuse to just explore this one little bit that i have uh, fun memories of
0: absolutely yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to playing this game
1: excellent well hopefully we'll be able to play together sometime
0: awesome uh anything to um shout out that's going on for you
1: yeah, well, I guess I, I've actually managed to keep a, a somewhat consistent streaming schedule lately. Uh, I'm still streaming Backbone on Wednesday evenings. Uh, I skipped last week; uh, though my wife's birthday is a pretty good excuse, I feel. So, um, this coming week, I'm jumping into episode two of that, and it should be a re- like it's. I think it's gonna be four episodes. Like I'm replacing a chapter per per stream. Uh, so we're starting on on chapter two next episode. Uh, and Sunday nights, I'm streaming a sort of long-running Morrowind let's play. So we're, we're uh, half a dozen episodes into that now. So things are starting to to get rolling there. So um, feel free to, to drop by. I, I the, the Sunday nights are a good opportunity to just like unwind for the weekend, talk about what, what we've all been playing or or eating, <laughs> etc. So yeah, uh, I'd love to see you there sometime.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. I, I wish my um, schedule was more flexible to allow me to join you, but I, I applaud you for all the work you're putting into these streams. And it sounds like fun stuff. Morrowind, what a great game! Uh, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that for a short segment at least. I would think.
1: Oh, I could, I could, I could talk for a long time. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, great I'm hoping to get some guests and might, might even stream some uh, Race for the Galaxy sometime in the coming weeks if I can uh, line up some people. So I uh, look forward great.
0: to that. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we talked a lot about the Galaxy series, but uh, maybe yeah, we'll have a retrospective in a year or two and see how we feel about the uh, additional plays we've had.
1: Yes, let's, let's keep playing through those expansions on uh, Board Game Arena.
0: Awesome. Well, I had fun, and I hope you guys try out some of those games that we're playing, the Race for the Galaxy games, or try out some Tiny Tina, and maybe we can do an online session together. Excellent. Look forward to that.
1: Enjoy the uh, rest of your long weekend.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Happy Family Day for those in Canada. And And President's
1: Day, I think, in the US.
0: Oh, well, there you go. You enjoy your presidents. (laughs) Uh, And for everyone else, get some rest and play some games. Yeah, and
1: remember to enjoy a balanced gaming diet. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Thanks, Mark.